the podcast about the life of Susie Dyson. So here we are with her. Hi, Susie. Hi, Ursula. What fun. We're here again, you know, and talking about these uh, uh, crazy experiences. Well, not crazy, actually, but rather fun experiences that I had so young. The trip to Indonesia, when the call came in from French folk, you no, know, and they said to me, we'd like to send you to Indonesia on a trip to of about a month. That's a wonderful, oh, I'd, I'd be delighted, you know. And then I, I hung up having said, yes, I'd love to go. And then I thought, I hope they pay me this time, you know, because all the other issues I'd done for them, they'd never paid me. You know, I just went over to Paris. I had a lovely time. I stayed in a nice hotel. We did a great photographs and stuff. And I come back and that was it. And I never got paid. And so they said, so when I waited and, and, and hoped, waited and hoped, they would call back again. And they did. And then I said, well, but are you going to be paying me this time? And they said, oh, yes, not to worry. We'll pay you $50 a day. $50 a day. It doesn't sound like much, but you see, the magazines never pay. It's a sort of, you're, you're very fortunate to come out in the magazine because it's the top top range. Vogue is the best magazine in the world. Definitely was at that time. And um, American Vogue and uh, French Vogue, Italian Vogue came later. And it wasn't like now that there are Vogues all over the world. At that time, there was only American Vogue and then French Vogue. And then, as I say, Italian Vogue came as well. But that was it. End of the line. No other Vogue. So it was like a very uh, important place to be you everybody wanted to have photographs in vogue and if possible you know covers as well and off i went to indonesia when is actually after the the number that came out in w because that was still what i was cooking no they came and did that number and then when i arrived to go off to indonesia i walking into the offices of french Vogue, um they sort of put this this paper newspaper no w in front of me and said wow What have you done to be so popular in this place? You know, they, normally they rip tear people apart, <laughs> not nice to, to anybody. And I thought, I don't know. Yeah. And so she opened the double page spread so that I could see all the photographs. I thought, oh, well, that's amazing. So that was also a way of French Vogue to realize also that I was, I was obviously in other people's eyes, no, because um, whoever was spotted by, by the owner of W. John Fairchild. It was also important for, for because WWD, Women's Wear Daily, was a newspaper that came out every day, as it says, and it only touched the fashion world. Yeah, he was the editor in chief from 1960 to 1996. Right. And he founded W Magazine, which is my favorite magazine, in 1972. Yeah. Right. There you are, you see? And so He was an editor-in-chief, which is the most important place you can have. And so he was the one who obviously spotted a little note that, that was written by Claude Deleuze, that was Fred's uh, visible lover, I say. <laughs> But, um, and so when he says to her, you go back to Closters and cover that girl. That's, that was what he did, what he said. Go back and cover that girl. I want to know everything she does, what she does, where she eats, who she sees, everything, what she wears, everything. And that's what happened, you see. And so if, you, if you're spotted by somebody like John Fairchild, they keep you in, you know, it's, it's an important factor. It's not just like that. So let's say I have claim to fame. <laughs> I've just opened an article in Betty Defer about him 
And the title mm-hmm. is Fashion's Most Angry Fella. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was like the Magali, if we put it in proven terms. Yeah, in a way. Light and dislikes, no? By, by people. But he definitely liked me. He sort of, I think he, he, he decided that I might be somebody like Jackie Onassis or something, you know, that somebody that could climb up the ladder and become a very important social image. He wanted to be there right from the start because he did. He covered me wherever I went. If you notice in the articles that, that you've seen, Ursula, I'm there in the lineup with the most important, the most chic people in the world, you know, the Duchess of Kent, you know, the, all the big shots. I'm going to put all of them on the Instagram page. The other day I found images of you in Cannes. I think it was like a dinner and you were with this actor, Berger. Oh, Helmut Berger. Yeah. Well, there I went with him to Cannes when uh, Visconti died because he was a, a favorite actor of Visconti, but also, you know, his sort of his play toy, let's say. But yeah. he was gay, right? Visconti was gay, and so was Helmut, of course. He wanted me to accompany him, you see, to just be by his side, basically. And I mean, it's not like the, the press, when they saw me, they thought, you know, he's, he's not gay, because he's definitely gay. He's a very good actor. He, he had, he'd done several movies for Visconti. That's why they invited him. They, they honored him that in that Festival de Cannes, you know? Well, let's go I back to talk about uh, the shoot in, in Indonesia. Indonesia. They published about, I don't know, something like 27 pages of, of that it, that trip in French Vogue. It was amazing. It was a big coverage, you know. And it was all organized by this photographer called Maurice Hogenboom. He was actually Dutch, but he came to Paris and he became very good friends with Yves Saint Laurent. And he was hanging out in the right circles. You know, it's also important what circles you hang out in. Anyway, he... He obviously decided he wanted to do this trip to Indonesia because if you look at history, the, it, was the, it was the Dutch that I think discovered Indonesia many years ago. And so he organized this trip and he also had a very, very, very good contact in Indonesia. A man called, I love his name because it's so totally Indonesian, Via Wawuruntu, Via Wawuruntu. And Ria Wawaruntu was an absolutely divine, very, very elegant. And he actually knew all the sort of jet set. If any, anybody of the jet set arrived in, in Bali, he was the one who always received them. Okay. And so he obviously helped him organize the whole trip. Because when we went to Indonesia, we also interviewed the president of Indonesia. We were received in the palace, you know, and all these sort of things. It was a, it was a fantastic trip. Very well received by everybody because any trip that Vogue did at that time, and I imagine sometimes now as well, when you're actually covering the country as well, putting it in Vogue, you know what I mean? (laughs) There's a phrase, no? It's a phrase, put it in Vogue because it's featuring in, in the most important magazine in the world, of course. We first went to capital of Indonesia, Jakarta. Yeah, we went to Jakarta first, of course, to, to do the interview of the president and be received by the, the, the official people and stuff. And then we went to all these amazing ruins because they're beautiful ruins in, in Indonesia, no? all different places. We went to Java as well. And then we ended up in, in Bali, which was obviously the, the star of the, 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 cherry, the cherry on the cake, as they say. <laughs> and so the amazing thing was that they sent suitcases and suitcases. I mean, it was lots of clothes. Everything was white, 
They didn't send a makeup artist. Remember, I was 17. I had never learned to make up, obviously. And I never learned. I had no idea how to do my hair. My hair, my hair was just a long, straight thing, you know, that hanged down to my waist. But I'd never learned to do my hair other than a braid, you know, which I never used. But they sent wigs in the suitcases. They sent clothes. They sent shoes, jewels, everything. Everything was in that suitcase. There was a certain plan, I guess, of how to put it together. But of course, I didn't know, you know, I had no idea. And so between Maurice and I, myself, we sort of bungled around and found a way of putting things together. And yeah, yeah, it came, it worked. It worked well enough. <laughs> but I certainly did not know how to make my, how to do my own makeup. So that was a bit of a, a bind, you know, because in all the other sessions I'd ever been, there's always a very good hairdresser, a very good makeup artist, choosing always the best. You know? And normally when you did a trip to cover a country, also somebody like Susan Train would be sent because she would be, as they call him, editor at large, you know. And so that this is the kind of editor that would be sent to cover the, the country. We managed and we got the clothes together and, and had a wonderful, wonderful experience. It was an, an amazing experience for me, I must say. And then in Bali, it was, it was incredible to arrive in Bali because I've been back a couple of times after that. And I've seen how the place has grown. But when we first arrived on this beach of Sanur, which is a beach that has coral reefs on the front, and so therefore there are no wave breaks in Sanur Beach, but all of Sanur Beach was owned by Via Vawuruntu. Amazing. So, and he had a little hotel called Tangjung Sari, which is a beautiful little hotel. Very typical Indonesian style, but done with very, very good taste. And the only large building that was at one end of, of, of Sanur was the Bali Beach Hotel, which is a big building. And that was it at that time. Then the, a few kilometers away was the Tangjung Sari. And then he had another property, which was a fabulous property, Batu Jimbar, where he, he, he had his own house, which had several outhouses like that, which is beautiful. Polynesian style is a very beautiful style of, of building. No? But anyway, and there he sold parts of land to other important people who wanted to buy. And Ria was always the holder of the land. If you know what I mean, because so it's so now, for instance, you want to buy land in, in in Bali, and you you rent, you sort of buy a rental time, you know, a bit like in London. They also you can buy rental times. So you don't actually buy the property. Some of them you have freehold, as it's called, but some is a rental a rental time, and that has been cleverly done in Indonesia. So the land is still owned by Indonesian people. And that's the way to do it now. If even if you make a hotel and make a property, whatever deal you make, it'll be for a certain amount of years on a rental basis. And that is what Via Wawuruntu did too with Batu Jimbar. A beautiful, but so well done. It was amazing because he really did have good taste. So all the houses there were beautiful. Anyway, so we did the sessions of photographs and we went up to Ubud and beautiful places. No, and what is what was so lovely at that time, I presume it still goes on because traditions I don't think have, have been left behind, you know. And the traditions of, of carrying all these wonderful offerings on the heads of the girls and they would walk along carrying, you know, I don't know, like a, a meter high of offerings without stumbling and beautifully in with the most amazing posture, of course. And um, 
And you'd go to the, these places where they would have the, the, the meetings for the offerings, and it was absolutely beautiful, a wonderful experience. If you've never been to Bali, put it on your list, even if it's change, times have changed because Kuta is now crowded. And at that time, there was nothing. Can you imagine nothing on Kuta? But yeah, I so, mean, yeah. talking back to the fashion part of the trip, how many yeah. days were you guys shooting around the, the country? Well, we were there for over three weeks. Oh, that's that was a lot. Almost a month. Yeah. That's a like lot. there was no hurry, you know, but still we, we were there for a very long time. So it was a wonderful trip. Oh, I had the best time of my life. I mean. Yeah, because that's not normal. Like usually when you have like a shoot or a video or something like for fashion, you're just mm. like awake, tops. But that's amazing. They did cover it very, very well. I mean, to get 27 pages in a in a French magazine is a very good coverage. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it'll be seen by people all over the world. I mean, I mean, here was I living in Peru, and the only magazine my mother received was a American Vogue. So I was always looking through American Vogue, you know, since my childhood. And because, what about the designers? Well, the designs that we were sent, I can only recognize one designer specifically in one of the photos on the, on the steps of one of the ruins. It looked to me like that was a, definitely a, a courage outfit, you know. But the rest was just easy clothing. It wasn't particularly a designer of any kind, you know. And you'd have to read the... The, the what they put in the magazine because they always have to put the credits. They always put the credits. They don't give you the model's name. They don't give you the, but they put the credits. They don't even mention, maybe in one page, if they if they said a makeup artist, they will mention a makeup artist and they might mention, they'll may, and mention the hair. The, the model is usually never mentioned. And then the photographer is also mentioned in one of the pages or the, probably the beginning of the, of the session of the article, let's say. But the rest, in every page, they give all the clothing because it's about clothing. Yeah. You know, fashion is about clothing. And so the magazine, what it does is it highlights the clothing that is in fashion. Vogue magazine at that time was a way of, of showing interpretation of fashion to people in general. Grown-ups, yeah. younger people and everything, they used to look at fashion and Vogue and get inspired of what to wear. You know what I mean? It wasn't just... Uh, a fancy magazine you flick the pages and don't get information from. It was a means of information. And that's the thing, that when you did the fashion shows too, the fashion shows were totally about selling the clothes. That's all they were interested in doing, you know. The models walk around on the, on the, on the, catway, on the catwalk, but they're out there to sell. They're not there to, to, <laughs> to just be admired as a model. They're, they're out there to sell. That's, you know, the production of fashion is millions of dollars are spent to produce fashion. And yeah. haute couture was a certain level of fashion. But when the, the haute couture houses started producing fashion on another level of what calls prêt-à-porter, and it means ready-to-wear clothing, that's another level. Because the, the haute couture is all made by hand by needlework people who are sitting in in the in the in the rooms of the maison de couture, you know, the 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 the, the haute couture house, no? Mm -hmm. But the uh, prêt-à-porter goes into f huge factories that produce the clothing in mass production, and then they they want to have mm, several 
shops to sell it in because obviously you want the mass production, you want it to be selling and selling and selling at another level. Well, and that I mean, is what- it's, it's mass production on comillas because it's nothing compared to like what fast fashion is doing right now. I mean, like, but you were talking about the beginning. Yeah. You see, Ursula, you've got to, you've got to disconnect from what fashion is now. Fashion is just a huge production that's made in China, let's say, mostly. Yes. You know what I mean? But not at that time. Not at that time. China wasn't in the business yet. And the first house, the first fashion house, or Couture Fashion House, to go and open his boutique in Rive Gauche, that's what the name of the boutique was Rive Gauche, the name of the line was Rive Gauche, was Yves Saint Laurent. Yeah, I think that's a very important um topic to discuss because what are you telling us right it's that uh how fashion worked back then was not like even the shadow of what has become today today has become like a very environmental huge issue like huge huge issue um, a huge because, environmental issue in the, yes. the damage in the world yeah but this huge production of clothing yes, because it's of not the- Overproduction. And it's not recycled, you know, and they use no. it once and put it away, sort of thing. And that's very bad news. Exactly. No, and there's a word this like exploitation of the of people because of China being there and Thailand, I think. Um, and there are a few other countries, but they are like it's modern slavery, you know, like it's very, very, very toxic and People are dying. Very the, serious problem, actually, because they're on top of the dyes that are used on the cloth are all synthetic, you know. And so there's a line, there's a new, very important, it must be noticed, I think, it must be taken seriously, which is, yes. uh, you know, using clothes that, that are dyed naturally and also uh, giving uh, use to clothing for a long time, not one exactly. season. No, not not only one season. Like if you go, for example, to a massive retailer, the T-shirt or the jeans or whatever you're buying are going to just be able for you to use like a few times. You're not going to be able to use it like forever, you know, or for even like a year. Like with Mm -hmm. two or three washes, it will be like done. Oh, really? really? I haven't worn jeans for such a long time. I have no idea what they're like. But I used to, I used to prefer Levi's. I'm a Levi's girl. Yeah, no. The buttons in the front, you know, very fitted at the bottom of the leg. And there's another label, for example, Madewell, which is an American label. They work with recycled denim. So you go there and you put on all of those denim uh, pants that they don't fit you anymore or you don't want to use anymore or whatever. And they Mm. give you the discounts for your next purchase. But the thing is that they work with this denim that you are given. They Mm. do this recycled fabric. You have no idea how much but the quality they long lasting quality which is exactly exactly yeah. so, that's what Levi's like at the time you know? yes and I think that I think this episode has like given us a major um view you know like has opened a bit our minds of how how fashion worked on those times in the 70s and we haven't even talked about like Biba store but that was the time it was the same time you know that Mary Quant appeared and she I'm not sure if she was the first one to coin that miniskirt. She was the, the mini- first one. She's the first one. And she was, because he made it so famous, you know. She really made it famous. 
And I'll tell you an amazing thing, actually, because uh, at the time, there was an airline that uh, had decided to change its image. And they had Emilio Pucci, okay? And they painted the planes with Emilio Pucci painting sort of thing. And all the hostesses were dressed in Emilio Pucci clothing. Can you imagine? Brand it was an airline that flew to Peru. And at that time, my sister... My elder sister, Sylvia, she was in, in, in the airline business in Peru for, for, for Aero Peru. We had a, an airline called Aero Peru, but then she left and she went via Brazil because she had a very nice cousin there. We all, uh, we have a cousin, you know, and, and she's very, very nice. And, um, so they had such a good time and everything that afterwards my sister went to England to work and, and she, uh, ended up working for a British company called British Caledonian. And she decided to convince them to fly to Rio. To imagine that. Yeah, it's really clever of her. Because she imagined, she managed to convince them to fly to Rio. And the logo that she invented for that was Swinging London, because Swinging London, London was swinging so much, it was, became so hip that there, there was this phrase that was it was like come to swinging london come to swinging london enjoy swinging london it was all going on like this you see and mary quant and the miniskirt and all the rolling stones and the beatles and all of this was you know swinging it was really swinging anyway so she decides to convince this airline to fly to rio and her the logo was swinging london flies to rio which was amazing and it hit really hard. The Brazilians were crazy to go to London, to swing in London. And the British and everybody else was uh, delighted to fly down to Rio, to swing in, in Rio, you know. And on top, this is, a, this is the best bit, she decided that the uniforms that, that British Caledonians should have were going to be a mini skirt, a little jacket, and a top hat, all with the British flag on it. That's it was amazing. so cool. I can't tell you. It was really amazing. That was my sister. She was good. And after that, she was actually she was actually hired by the Aga Khan to inaugurate um, Sardinia. That was another thing. Yeah. So it was inter- interesting things going on, you see. Interesting things going on. Yeah, things that you don't see right now, like <laughs> why there's not like this, you know, like, for example, now it's just like a mess. Every airport, well, the disaster that has happened a few weeks ago, um, mm. I think it's because the overpopulation in general. <laughs> like, yeah. we Well, are- I tell you, also at that time, there were planes. There was a plane, for instance, I remember planes had beds. And my father, my father, every time we flew on a plane that had beds, he would book all the beds. So the whole family <laughs> could sleep in the beds. <laughs> of course, there were not many beds because instead of having these things to put the baggage in up there, you'd uh-huh. open up and you'd sleep up on the bed. That's amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. And then after that, there were also planes that had a little bar downstairs. You'd go down a little staircase and you'd go to the bar and have a bar, a drink at the bar. That's amazing. And then, That's a whole another level of luxury (laughs) and at the end the last plane i took that had a sort of special feature it had a second floor you'd go from first class and you'd go up a stair to the second floor order your drinks and have your drinks up there it's like a little lounge on the top of the plane that's so unbelievable 
Well, I think, you know, that uh, the, the most uh, important thing is, as we mentioned in a post in the, in the thing, is that we, if you stay in your comfort zone, nothing much is going to happen. But if you're willing to leave your comfort zone and explore, plunge into the unknown, you know, it's so exciting the amount of things that can appear. And I think that is, is one of the big pieces of advice I would give anybody listening to, to this podcast. Just walk out of your comfort zone and go and explore the world. It's still exciting. There's masses to learn and see and, 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 and really enjoy. There's nothing like traveling. And so people to I, know, right? Like people, people to know. know. Hmm. My father's theory was that he, for him, it was important, as important for, him, for us that we should study at school, but we should also travel. And know the people and how other people live, you see. You, you, you never know how other people live if you just sit in London or Paris or wherever you live in Canada or Australia, God knows. You know, anyway, you could be in Japan. But if you don't explore, then you're just going to, you're losing your life. I think life is about exploring, about being curious, curiosity. And that's not curiosity, kill the cat, that's nonsense. Yeah, um, curiosity widens your brain, you know, it expands your mind. And that's the way creativity flows too, obviously, yeah. Well, people, this was another episode of LC. Hope you guys liked it. Well, Ursula, I hope everyone listening is having as much fun as I am. <laughs> I'm having a great time. With this podcast, yes, and, people, and with your with your direction, of course, because it's so important to have a good producer. <laughs> Otherwise, how, do, how the heck will you do it? I have no idea. <laughs> Thank you so much, Susie. Um, well, people, don't forget if you have any questions for us, if you want to know more about any topic, just comment about anything we have just told you about. Um, the comments on the Instagram account are more than welcome. So mm -hmm. this. This has been it for today. <laughs> I know we will be waiting for you on the next episode. Thank you so much.